session number 10 of our church history, our Trail of Blood. As we've been going through the Trail of Blood and studying church history, there are some really interesting things that are happening now. We've been talking about the Donatists, of course we talked about the Montanists that are over here, and the Paulicians. We started last week and talking about the Paulicians. From the Paulicians come several other groups like the Albigenses, the Petributions, the Henricians, Arnoldists, some of these groups, uh, they were established from the Paulicians because the Paulicians were very uh, mission-minded. They sent out men into all of the world, two by two, to carry out the, the gospel. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit about them, but first I want to see some of the things that happened as a result of Constantine, I'm going to hopefully get a little uh, clip in here so that you can see this chart a little better. But as the result of the church and the state merging, then eventually popes started out of that. Because initially, as we talked about, we had the Emperor Constantine that said he was going to be the head of the state and church. Later that changes to where we have them being the head of the church and also of the state. And so some things really begin to happen after the Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea had good things and some bad things that happened as a result. But the nature of this church that had begun to go astray. Remember we talked about how they began to have baptismal regeneration. Baptism saved you. And if baptism saves you, then let's baptize all infants. Let's baptize everyone. And so pretty soon that becomes law. We talked about a man by the name of Augustine and how Augustine brought in some very different ideas and theologies like the worship of Mary. After all, he figured if Mary was the mother of Jesus that she could go and uh, ask of Jesus and you could pray to Mary and she would take your request to him. Not biblical whatsoever. And he had many, many different ideas such as the idea of purgatory. That if you were the elect and you were going to go to heaven, that uh, if you had sins that needed to be cleaned up, that uh, you would go to purgatory and those sins would be purged and clean, cleansed. But some of the things that were going on, especially in this area, was to introduce Christianity into the pagan societies. They just paganized Christianity. And let me give you some examples of that because not only uh, in the, the, the what they call the Christian mass, which is what the uh, Greek and the Latin churches began to call that, they instituted a Christian architecture 
and sculpture and painting, poetry, music that had been prior uh, of idol worship. And so in place of the pagan temple, the altars arose in the churches to supposedly now honor Christ. There had never been an altar before. And because of the paganism, an altar was now placed. Uh, the Virgin Mary was being venerated and prayed to. They began to pray to martyrs, men that had given their lives for Christ, godly men sometimes, to calling them now saints. And the Bible says that if you are a child of God, you are a saint. All right, well, also some of the things that happened was they began to teach that uh, in, in all of that, uh, the atoning sacrifice for Christ was not sufficient once and for all, but with every mass, every meeting, that the atoning sacrifice was given again at the hand of the priest. In other words, that Christ died again, his blood was shed, his body was broken, and that became that mysterious center of worship, and it was from a pagan idea that that was brought right into Christianity, as well as a number of church festivals that increased the processions, the pilgrimages, all those sorts of things. It brought about a significant level of superstition, superstition. These customs, these ceremonies that are being introduced all have their roots in paganism. And the public worship of God in now, a theatrical character was attractive to the pagans. So they would come because now it was a, 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 like a theater. And it was imposed upon the people, became law that they had to begin to come and be part of that. And so now the mass became, uh, it addressed the eye and the ear the feeling, the imagination, but not to the intelligence, not to the will, not to the spirit. And in short, what we find is from the Nicene age that it is mysterious, ceremonial, and symbolical, and it was much found from the Greek and the Roman cultures of, of years before, just brought into Christianity. Well, Leo the Great speaks of Christians in Rome who first worshipped the rising of the sun as doing homage to the pagan Apollo, and then with the building of the Basilica to St. Peter, that uh, that was done to replace the worship uh, of the sun and, and Apollo and some of those things. So I just want you to see, there are some similar worship practices which were done to false gods, demigods, like Hercules and uh, Bacchus and all, so many others. They had become worshipped in the Roman uh, civilization, and as Christians, they brought those things into Christianity. And so uh, there was a man by the name of John Christensen, he is sometimes called Christostomos, which means golden mouth. And 
what he says. He mourned over the theological customs that were coming in and being part of the Catholic worship and things that had only been seen before only in the pagan worship, such as loud clapping, were now brought into uh, festivals such as uh, at, uh, at what they called Christmas, uh, the remembrance of the birth of the Redeemer, some of those things. And so they never had clapping before. It's amazing that in our day and age, Protestant churches, Baptist churches are allowing this ancient, uh, ungodly practice to come in because they don't even realize that it was a form of idolatry. They don't even realize how that is brought into Christianity. Well, Constantine's successors pursued and initiated a church calendar. And that gave legal sanction and civil significance to holy days of the church. And that obscures the Lord's Day. It obscures the true worship on the first day of the week. And what they were doing was they were following after many of the Old Testament Jewish laws and much of what the Jews recognized in the Jewish calendar. But after this all happened after the fourth century, that the Christian calendar, this cycle of regularly occurring annual religious festivals, began to incorporate heathen festivals. And so the idea of a religious year, in distinction from the natural year, from the civil year, began to take effect. And the abuse of these festivals soon fastened itself under the use of uh, sensual excess, just like in the pagan feast. In spite of warnings of godly men that stood up, it swept in like a flood. It took the, this whole uh, group of churches, because remember, these are people that are not being called to be born again. They're not being called to the new birth. They're not being called or challenged that their old sinfulness has to be put down and Christ raised it. So the abuse of these festivals fastened themselves into the church, and it was especially under Pope Gregory I. By the way, we're going to see where these popes begin. Uh, you cannot trace popes all the way back. It was not Peter. Peter recognized that the church was founded on Christ and not upon himself, that he was not given the keys, but that Christ, as you look in the book of Revelation, Christ is the one with the keys. And so it was with good intention that Gregory really started to Christianize these former heathen pagan ideas, but he brought these festivals in, and he really paganized Christianity through these Middle Ages. And the calendar saints took the place of the uh, ancient deities. Rome became kind of a second uh, pantheon while well, they worshiped all of these other gods. Well, that's what Philip Schaff says in his uh, church histories. And that's not my words. Those are the words and the teachings from 
Philip Schaff. Now, understand that as we're going to get into this uh, 5th, 6th century, we step into the Dark Ages. Do you know that during the Dark Ages, over 60 million of our Baptist forefathers give their lives in horrible, horrible ways. And of course, the writers of the history write who wins, and the histories are written for them. So it's interesting to see that in, in all of their sayings, they could really uh, badmouth some of the other groups such as the Albigenses. And these Albigenses, they came out of the group of the Paulicians, and later we're going to get into another group called the Waldenses, and I'm going to share with you uh, many, many different things from this book that is called The Churches of the Valleys of the Piedmont, uh, History of the Evangelical Churches of the Valleys of the Piedmont. This is a book that is written about the Waldenses. We will take a chance, we'll go through, we'll look at some of the different things. There's a number of very, very graphic ins uh, uh, times where it's given uh, how horrible death that they suffered, uh, what terrible, terrible things. And these uh, wooden plates and these carvings were placed into the original book by the way, this book was uh, done for uh, the His Highness, when I consider, let's see, that it was done for the King of England, and I'll have to look, because uh, it goes through, it's all in the old, old English, and uh, it was done by... Samuel Moreland, yes, Samuel Moreland, and he did that for the King of England back in 1628, if I'm not mistaken. So this was an ancient book that's been around. You can find copies. It's been reprinted, kind of like the book of the Key of Truth. As a matter of fact, I mentioned this because that was the first book that I really got interested in church history. I was always interested in church history because I believed that I knew that it was important to be part of a church that had its lineage and was founded by Christ. Because Christ said the church won't go out of existence. That's why I don't believe that I am a Protestant. That's why I don't believe I had to protest, that we needed to break away and get away from uh, uh, someone else, that that church had always gone and continues on from that day until this day. Well, the Paulicians established the Albigenses. So now we're moving more into Europe. Now we're getting very, very strong into some of the areas of France, some of the areas of Spain, uh, Germany. Christianity is growing tremendously in that area because what happened was they saw the uh, ungodliness that was being done. And then that you were being, they were being encouraged to pray to saints, to worship saints. By the way, there were also indulgences. And the idea of an indulgence was that because the church had the authority to save or to forgive sins, 
and a priest had that authority to forgive your sins, you could go and buy, you could pay, and get your sins forgiven. So you could, maybe you thought, well, I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to uh, go into very <clears throat> indulgent circumstances. I'm going to buy an indulgence that forgives me of what I'm already planning to do. How ungodly is that? How sad is that? That's just not biblical. And so the sale of indulgences brought more money into the Catholic Church. It brought money and that because they were building huge edifices, beautiful, beautiful buildings, but that way their uh, all of their worship to these ancient pagan gods could continue on, even though they were called now under Christian names. How how very sad! As a result of that, many people stood up and recognized that's not what God's word says. That's not what the Bible says. <clears throat> and so uh, the, the Albigenses have been traced to the, uh, some of the writers of the Paulicians, and it was Mr. Conibear who wrote and translated the Key of Truth from the Paulicians, thinks that it, that it was in very early times in the Balkan Peninsula where they began to be called the Bogomils, and they began to reach out. And from that, the Albigenses, because that was a part of southern France, the little city of Albi, where the entire city almost becomes converted to Christianity. And they were, uh, it's really Inquisition that was being forced upon the people and they uh, were saved because of certain kings that stepped in. But the Roman Catholics accounted them, the, the Roman church especially accounted them as heresies. And they said that a Christian church should consist of good people. A church should have no power to frame any constitutions. And they had no right to take oaths. It was not lawful to kill mankind. And a man ought to be delivered up to justice uh, and, and uh, go through proper channels. They talked about the need for conversion, the need of, of uh, uh, being born again. They talk about baptism, being buried in a watery grave. They discuss the benefits of society for all members to be working for the good of society. These were some of their doctrinal statements. It's interesting also, they've left some uh, documents that said, we believe these to be the books of the Bible, these not to be books of the Bible, and they leave off the Apocrypha, and they accepted only those books that are accepted today in uh, our, most of our Bibles today. So why is that interesting? It was because of what those people were having to deal with, what they were having to fight against. And that's when you understand that indulgences were being sold, that people were being encouraged to worship Mary, to pray to Mary, to pray to saints. They were being encouraged uh, that, oh, if you don't do these things, you're going to go to purgatory. So therefore, uh, you better buy your indulgence. And 
they recognized that true Christianity did not and entertain any of those aspects. And so, as a result of that, the Albigenses were terribly, terribly persecuted. There were times that the Roman armies were sent in by the popes and just destroyed the whole city, just destroyed everyone that they could find. However, some of them fled into the hills and the caves and tried to get away. Uh, and so they continually were striving to crush out uh, what they called Albigensianism. And that was because they did not want to call them Christians. The reason being that uh, they wanted to have a distinction. If you were a Catholic, you were a Christian. If you were an Albigensian, you were not a Christian. And they made it, at one point, even illegal to be called by the name of Christ. Well, what about the, the uh, Paulicians were not uh, Manichaeist and the Catholic Church began to persecute them very much. Even later on, uh, we're going to see that these people, they held to biblical uh, truths, biblical uh, aspects. We're going to be talking about how the Waldenses, we're going to get into the Waldenses because they came from the Paulicians again. They came from the Bogomil, the Petributions, all of these as they're growing in France and growing uh, throughout Europe. What a great establishment. By the way, these people had their Bibles in Greek and in Hebrew. And so you might think of them as being Simple-minded peasants, that's not at all true. They learned to read the Greek and to translate and to understand the scriptures in the ancient languages. And later on, we're going to find over here, oh, sorry, on this side, the Waldenses, we're going to find that the Waldenses practiced and they taught their young preachers how to read and translate. Now, all of these people are called Anabaptists. They're called Anabaptists because they were rebaptizers. They did not accept infant baptism. And so for that reason, they were thought and called Anabaptists because they did not accept infant baptism. They believed that a person must be converted, then baptized, and then added to the church. And so they recognized the church always as being a local body of believers, not some universal great body out there. Interesting because all of the basic truths that they held to, and I'll admit that there were some oddities from time to time. Some of the different groups began to teach, began to say that you had to experience baptism naked because uh, you couldn't carry anything into the new life and you brought nothing out the new life except for the life itself. And it was a sign of purity. Where in our mind, in this Western civilization, we might think of it as being something filthy, something dirty. And of course, that's what they've been portrayed. But it was something very, very pure. And it was something done because they wanted to show they were bringing nothing, nothing of themselves, nothing that they had to offer. It was all the free gift of Christ, and that uh, 
uh, now they were being raised just like a newborn child, coming into the world uh, with only the life that Jesus Christ gave them. You see, in that light, in that understanding, we have perfect, perfect uh, uh, understanding how that merges with the scriptures. And although that's not something we would practice today, that does not make them, uh, you know, heretics. doesn't make them to be wrong from the scriptures. They were seeking to follow scripture exactly. And I hope today that that encourages us that we also will seek to follow the scriptures and only the word of God and keep that in our heart and keep that in focus that Christ is the head. We're going to follow him in all of those aspects. Thank you. This has been session 10. Uh, hopefully I'll get a few extra things on there and we'll talk a little more. I look forward to seeing you soon. Hope you're enjoying these to some degree. Lord bless you. Thanks. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>